magic apple, mystery apple. Take a little ride, let me be your guide through the apple paradise. Juju apple, voodoo apple. Take a little bite, spend a splendid night in our garden of delight. It's a natural, natural, natural desire. Meet an actual, actual, actual vampire. Let the apple set your soul on fire, fire, fire. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are going to be looking at a very bizarre, very bizarre film for uh, this time around, one that I had never heard of before one of our panelists had uh, had requested it. Uh, she had heard about it. So we ended up putting this one on the docket. And so we are looking at The Apple from 1980. It uh, It is a musical film, a sci-fi musical comedy, although I don't know how much comedy actually is within it, but uh, definitely sci-fi and musical makes sense. Written, directed by Menem Golan. And this is a man who had a lengthy career in film. He produced the movies, did a lot of producing, a lot of producing credits, but he produced the films Masters of the Universe. He did the 1990 Captain America movie. He produced Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, unquestionably the worst Superman movie, including Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Um, he tried to get an adaptation of Spider-Man off the ground where Dolph Lundgren would have played the Green Goblin. And thank God no one was willing to give him money for this. Um, but he did actually end up directing Delta Force and Over the Top, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling action film or whatever he had custody drama whatever you would classify over the top as i'm not sure and he had his hand in a lot of other films directing and producing but those are probably the most notable ones that i was seeing so yeah so that is menahem golan and he wrote and directed this uh it, it was based on some like songs and concepts by um by some other people but then i think he took them and uh, kind of did his own thing with this. Sci-fi musical comedy, it's sort of, it was originally conceived as sort of like a play on 1984 totalitarianism. Movie came out in 1980. They thought 1984 is too close to our current era, so they bumped it ahead to 1994, so that's when the movie is set. But a lot of the totalitarianism stuff ended up being sort of taken out of it, and it's really only vaguely alluded to with some you know, stormtroopery looking costumes at times. Um, it has been critically panned and uh, and and audience panned and considered as what considered one of the worst films ever made. So uh, that is what we're dealing with here. So uh, I'll I'll open up the floor here. Only other things I think uh, I'll just say some of the cast are our main characters are Bibby and Alfie, who are two singers in kind of a Eurovision song contest uh, setup. That, that was like partly the inspiration for some of what we see on screen. So they sing like a love song. There's nobody in this movie that I recognize, but that's Catherine Mary Stewart and George Gilmore. 
And then there is a, a villainous character named Mr. Boogaloo, um, Boogaloo, and uh, that is Vladik Shabel. And then there's some other people that come and go um, that uh, we can talk about their names uh, if we feel it's necessary. Um, <laughs> but plot-wise, I'm going to leave that to some of my crew here because I was at a loss for what was happening in this film at any given moment. <laughs> I was 10, 15 minutes into this, and I was just like, what is happening? Not in a reactionary, like reacting where I'm like, no, I reject this. More in a like, literally what is going on on screen right now? I don't know the logic of what is being presented. Um, but a, a good little, um, just a note so you're aware. So the title, The Apple, that's uh, the name of a song in it. And it's vaguely alluding to like the Garden of Eden and to Temptation it's not super clear of like why any of this is going on, but, but that's, that's what's happening there. Our two lead characters are drawn into this dark world of music by like a satanic type figure. Um, there's a God figure that shows up, you know, there's this Faustian kind of vibe of like, you know, selling your soul for, for riches. So there's this like vague biblical kind of stuff going on in it. And so reading some of the synopsis was helping me at least kind of connect the dots of, oh, okay, I kind of get this and that. But any moment scene to scene, I'm just like, I don't know what this scene is trying to accomplish. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what any of this is adding up to. And that was me for the entirety of this film. All right. So we are going to uh, introduce our panel here. We have... Katie rejoining us, who you were on shock treatment for us, and you were last on Pennies from Heaven, and you were the one who uh, foisted this upon us. Yes, I uh, first actually learned of this movie after we watched shock treatment for the podcast. Uh, my girlfriend and I watched it together, and she said, oh, if you, you want to talk about like weird, bad musicals of this time period, what about the apple? And I and I, I said I was like, what about the apple? And at the conclusion of this film, I I did still feel, what about the apple? <laughs> uh, but but uh, yes, it is. It is to my uh, honor and regret that I introduced this to at least the two of you on this podcast. <laughs> One of you had been blessed by its by knowledge of it beforehand yes dusty was telling us that he uh dusty is rejoining us dusty you were last on a, a very different bad film which was Ooh. the evil within a movie yeah, that, that was a, a movie that was a time a movie i enjoy more than this film but oh man i don't know how but okay the, the human mind rattles. Because there's stuff in the evil within that works. There's stuff that, that works. Yeah. But anyway. There's stuff that so, works. Uh, so we have Dusty join us. And Dusty actually had seen this for a class. And I think he's probably our biggest champion of this film from what I'm gathering. Yeah, not going to lie. Yeah, I watched this for a class in grad school at Northwestern. So, you know, that probably depreciates the value of my diploma. But it is what it is. And, yeah, it's... I. I have too much adoration for this complete and utter mess. But yeah, but it's uh, it's nice to be back for this one. And uh, we also have joining us here under protest is Chris. <laughs> Hi, everybody. 
I'm Chris. Litton told me that I should join this podcast because we were going to be covering a musical, and I know things about musicals. But let me uh, warn everybody, my prior knowledge of musicals will be no help in this matter. <laughs> I stumbled into this movie like a child, and I stumbled away like a slightly younger child. <laughs> well, it, it, it does, um, it is, yes, technically it is a mu- a, a movie musical but i would say that as much as i you know i think like dusty you know can watch it more than once um it is barely a musical despite having a lot of music in it because um the songs (laughs) man this movie yeah you're you're right it does it is not held together by strong bonds of plot or characterization or the religious allegory, or world building in any way. It, but it, you know, what it, you know what it has that I really like spectacle. It yes, has I, mm-hmm. a I, lot I of put, spectacle. I, I, I assumed as much. I put in my notes within the first couple minutes lots of glitz and glamour, and they, they just, they pull out all the stops uh, right there in the first couple minutes. But all right, yeah, we're gonna dig into this. If so, I can just um, talk about the first couple minutes before we start. Well, well, I just just officially, it's just I'm opening the sure. floor. What do we make okay. of the apple? So, Chris, if you want to launch us, go ahead. I just want to start on the first song. I didn't, I didn't know anything about this movie going in. I didn't watch any pre. I watched one preview, but it didn't help me at all. I didn't read anything. I didn't read a plot summary. I didn't read about the movie. And the one thing I certainly didn't know is that the band's name in the first song was B.I.M. and it's like the only thing they sing the entire song. But I couldn't, like, there's, like, a call and repeat where they say B and the audience says I am. And the whole time I thought it was, like, B, I am. Like, I am being. And I just watched the song, straining my ears as hard as I could to figure out what anything, any words were being said in the song. And I didn't, throughout the entire first song, realize what they were saying. It was about halfway through the movie that I realized what the first song was about. Is the name of the band Bim? No, it's not. It's not, actually. The name of the band is Dandy and Pandy. The name of their label is the Boogaloo International Music Group, is that, or BIM. Is that but they call themselves for? BIM, because I found out the name of the band because there was a uh, there was like uh, an advertisement on a wall for BB, B-I-B-I, and at first I thought it said Bib, and I was like, oh, the band's name is Bib, and then it like went over and it said <laughs> BIM. It didn't say Dandy yeah. and Pandy on the wall. It said Bim on the wall. Oh, God. Like, so is it the name of the, the record label and the band? That's what I thought. Is this like a bad company situation? Like bad company by bad company from the album Bad Company? I thought that Bim was sort of just um, just a va- I don't. I didn't know what Bim was, but I actually, you, your description of it as you thinking it was B-I-M, B-I-M as in like being or something is, for for sure, more consideration and depth <laughs> to the name than any than the movie provided us at all. But I wasn't yeah. trying to figure out. The, I was just trying to figure out the words they were saying. I didn't know it was the band's name. I just wanted yeah. to come on this podcast today and be able to talk <laughs> about the movie. And for the first five minutes, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's and it's not like they don't give you a chance to hear it because they repeat "Hey, hey, hey, Bibs on the way" at least twenty times. They do, but you if know, you don't Bridges know, work. if you don't know that the word is "Bim," you don't know what's on the way. <laughs> yeah. You just can't figure out what's on the way. 
I did uh, I did like the, the the first song, which is set up. The movie sort of starts as a this this very over the top Eurovision like uh like uh concert. And yeah, yeah, it's very the first song's very it's about they say the word BIM a lot and that BIM is the power, but BIM is also not the power and love and hate. There are none of those, there are only BIM. But I, so it really we really came off with a strong like glam nihilism, which I um is a combo that I um I don't you don't see too often, but I, I did um I did like that, and I was almost about to like be like, "Yeah, this is like kind of fun." And then the second verse was just them saying "ha ha 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 ha" a lot, like to the melody of the whole second verse. And I was like, "Oh, you guys didn't write a whole song." <laughs> they missed a rhyme. It, like at the beginning, it wasn't yeah. even on purpose. I mean, you know the how the lyrics were like, "There is no good. There is no bad. There is no happy. There is no crying or something like that." <laughs> I was like, "What?" There's a very easy rhyme, guys. And then I thought, maybe there's no rhyme scheme in this part of the song, but then they came back to that, like, verse in the next part, and it was like an A-B-A-B rhyme scheme instead of a A-B-C-D not rhyme scheme. And, oh boy. Yeah, the, the two characters' names are Randy and Pandy, both ending with an I, which is something that I think is very of this era, right? Um, naming and songs with an I. And... Yeah, th- there's there's them and 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 they and then there's this cutaway to the the back of the house where for some reason the these obviously evil again like glam but also kind of totalitarian um, people are are counting the heartbeats of the audience like it sort of at first seems like oh, yeah. wow, they just want to see who wins the contest but then it's evil. Um, and I also love that it wasn't heart rate; it was just like heartbeat ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it what? was just like they're reaching hundred fifty. It's like I don't know, I don't know what that is. And but but I think that yeah, it's very over the top and, and glamorous and you know bad, but also in a fun way. At least in my opinion, at this point, it's fu- bad in a fun way. Um, but then. To, in contrast, the, the main characters, Alfie and BB, come out and are in these, like, shiny but, like, very understated uh, suits. She's got the long, parted, you know, dark brown Ted Bundy-like uh, hippie hair. Ted Bundy-like, when I say that, I mean, like, the victims of Ted Bundy, not that he had that hair. <laughs> You know um, Ted Bundy and his gorgeous hair. Yeah, well, hey, Ted, Ted Ted Bundy did have some gorgeous yeah. hair. <laughs> I thought it's it's an important distinction. I thought Katie was talking about Ted Bundy's looks. You know what? I mean, I think that he also had dark hair that parted down sort of the middle, but mm-hmm. you know, just not to the length that um BB or his preferred uh murder victims had. I'm gonna say that. Uh and they sing Every song that Alfie sings, I, I just kept my thinking of of uh, another movie that I genuinely love, which is the the Brady Bunch movie, where Greg sings his like little hippie song. He's like, "Flowers never left before, reindeers never cried," and it's just like the the this garbage parody of a hippie love song, which is what this was to me, and. 
man, I hated them from the beginning because their song was bad, but it was also boring. But they like even the audience started and ended booing them for different reasons, but the audience started booing them. So I did not realize that they were the main characters of the film when they were on stage. I thought that it was just like some other competitors that were like supposed to be bad because their song wasn't yeah, good enough yeah. for me to not know. Right. Until, of course, uh, bringing it back around to the heartbeat of the crowd started skyrocketing. Um, I do want to talk about that scale a little bit because it seemed like, uh, so what happens in the movie is uh, the crowd starts booing them and then all of a sudden like some girls in the crowd start like crying and then the the audience starts loving the song and the heartbeat goes up to 151, which is one higher than the other band, conveniently. Um, And then they play like a secret evil music to make everybody boo them off the stage, but they get booed off the stage at 90 heartbeat. Like, is that the scale? (laughs) (laughs) Like 150 is the best we've ever seen and 90 we're booing you off the stage. At at zero, humans are dead. So maybe at 90, but I will say about, about your question on the scale, and even as I think this, I know that I am. We are putting more work into this than than they wanted. Is is that um? Or that they did. Or that they did. Um. Or yeah, that they even considered was that you know if even if you are you know heartbeats seem to you know rise, they're not connected to feelings of like love or joy. If, if people get really upset, their wouldn't their heart numbers also go up? I mean, I think yeah. it's I think it's medically known knowledge that if your heart rate gets low enough, you start booing the paramedics. It's um, <laughs> it's a known fact. Well, I'd say so, this is um, a good example of just how the first five to ten minutes, and it doesn't change after this, but the first five to ten minutes, especially of just what we're focusing on right now, is like the movie does itself and its and the uh, you the audience no favors <laughs> in giving you anything that you can grab onto of like. Oh, I get this. Because, like, we're talking about, like, if you're listening to this, you've never seen the movie, you're like, it's a song contest? So you're, well, there's a heartbeat monitor? What? It's like, it just should just be, like, an applause-a-meter. That's it. That's all you need for this thing. Yeah. But they 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 extra complicate it for some, you know, uh, sci-fi, future, I don't know. Yeah. Wait, which I think we need to say that the future in this movie is 1994. That's what, that, that, the, the 1994 of it all really elevates this for me so high just uh just the fact that it's set in 1994 and you know i was alive in 1994 and it wasn't like this and mm. are you gonna say 1994 was like this dusty they weren't as far off as other movies that go into the future (laughs) because the biggest band of 1994 was fucking ace of bass like euro trash was like the song ace of bass is great. <laughs> I'm not saying they're we're bad. here to argue I'm that not Ace of Base isn't as good as B.I.M. or Dandy and Pandy, no. whatever their name may I'm, be. I'm not here to say that Nazi Swedish house music isn't good. I'm here to say <laughs> that... Sweden was neutral! Sweden was neutral! No, it's like one... Not one a- Ace, Ace of Base isn't neutral. No, they are not. One member of Ace of Base is definitely a Nazi. Really? Yeah. I thought everyone in Ace of Base had died. No, no. They saw it's the sign a, and it was a swastika. Yeah, Katie didn't see the signs that... Uh... <laughs> but, thought, but the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I guess I thought the sign was 
drugs. Like the sign was the lights in the in the in the club. No, I I, I don't. I, we would have to dig into it. I don't think there was like secret messages in those songs, but I think <laughs> but I think one of those guys. I remember reading this years ago. One of those guys, like after Ace of Base, or it was found out after the fact that he had a lot of leanings that were like, oh, this is like legit fascism. Right. So. What a more interesting and uh, amazing conversation than talking about the film The Apple. (laughs) But so, you know, to to continue the vital uh, work of the the plot summary of this film. So it seems like there's only two competitors, right? Um, And the the one, the the Randy and Pandy, they they win. um, And then there's a party, but we, we, we sort of then get to meet the clearly antagonistic, but also, I think, by, by far the, the, the funnest uh, character in the show, which is uh, Mr. Boogalow, who really knows what kind of movie he's in and is giving us what we want. The first scene he was in, I was like, oh, here's some bad acting. But by the second or third scene, I was like, I would watch this guy in another movie in the, as the same character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can't say, I can't say that about anybody else in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the guy who plays Snake. I like what he's doing. Like his sidekick. Uh, I need well, you guys well, to tell me. The, the one lady goes on to be a, uh, a Harry Potter uh, teacher. Oh, don't think I've forgotten about lesbian icon Miriam Margolis. <laughs> hey, well, you just said you wouldn't want to watch anybody else. That's all I'm saying. Uh, she's in a different. She's in a different movie in comparison. She's in like some sort of like Annie ripoff. <laughs> I need everybody to tell me what actor each of these characters are, but also tell me like a physical description of the she's, characters because I don't the, remember any other she's names. She's the kind of heavy set landlady who oh, I, I knew I knew okay, I recognized yeah. her, so I looked her up and she's one of the Harry Potter uh teachers. I don't know which one, but Yeah, she is in a completely different movie. She's in like Yeah. The she's newsies. In, yeah, she's in newsies. She's she's the 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 log suffering, you know, homeless shelter runner of the newsies but instead you know she's getting beat up because she doesn't have a sticker on her forehead uh, oh yeah kind of i do feel like every time as we describe the plot i feel like we'll have to describe every piece of the plot because that's what the movie does it just yeah. like takes you like through beat by beat but every time like Lytton said he didn't really get a feel for the movie i felt like i got the feel for the movie about 20 times and every time i got it i was like okay i got it they would just do something completely different. Yeah, I, I, I do want to make it clear though that um, the character that that does you called Snake, which would make sense, right? Because of course, uh, this is all, and eventually, like you know, the subtext becomes text, and was it ever subtext to begin with? A biblical allegory, because I don't know. Uh, but so the right hand man it would make sense for him to be the snake, like you know, of temptation. His name, and I just checked it to make sure. It's actually shake, as in like a milkshake. Oh God damn it! So I don't know why he's called that. There's no he doesn't shake. He doesn't. You know there there. So I just wanted to take. I wanted to take that that delicate card from the already non-existent house of cards that this film is. <laughs> I mean, all right. So if we're gonna talk about understanding the plot of this film, I think it's. Easier is not the right word. Northwestern grad school. (laughs) I'm very clearly we're taking some cinema theater. Um, But I 
Yeah, was there like a riot in your class when the professor (laughs) made like 25 people watch this? It was about 80, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, I do remember a person in front of me just like buying underwear off of Amazon during the movie, so that was fun. Um, I did that in law school no matter what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think the, the plot of the movie is just a tiny bit easier to understand if you're steeped in evangelical film. Just because it's it's point for point and end times movie, it's a rapture film. And so that makes it a little bit easier to understand, but that's such a narrow lane to expect people to fit into. My 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 girlfriend did when we when we were watching this and I was taking notes, did make me write down that the BIM mark equals mark of the beast. Oh yeah. But before we explain why it's the mark of the beast, we should explain what the BIM mark is. It's a shiny it's like a holographic sticker that uh, does, at first I thought like, oh, maybe it has like implanted technology. Um, no, it's just a sticker that they make everybody yeah. wear. Uh, at first, at, like at this party where it's like, a, you know, the music, the music group, it's like, oh, okay, cool. I guess this is branding. But then the police are checking, ticketing people for not having a yeah. mark. And it's like, you know, but uh, yes, tell us more about how, um, about the the rapture of it all. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the weird thing, is because if we're talking about this movie as, like, they, they don't really set up that the BIM music group also kind of runs the government as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, they that's, don't set that up. That's not really set up at all. But, all right, so we, we know that later. But usually in... But do, it's like, I don't even know if we know that they run the government or just that the government, like, likes them a lot. Yeah. And, like, they never talk about it. It just happens. yeah. But, but yeah, this whole Mark of the Beast moment would be so much bigger in an evangelical movie. But in this, they're like, uh, he t- like turns to his marketer, Ashley, and is like, make up something. He's like, t-shirts. He's like, do better, Ashley. And then he comes up with like some weird neon red drink in a rectangular vase called a I bim and tonic. I, I love that. And I also couldn't tell for most of the movie if there was actual liquid in those or if it had just been like painted red. I'm pretty sure it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> But but it's like that, but then he's like, oh, at this party, I have created a sticker that we're going to call a BIM mark, and that's the mark of the beast now. It's just this random idea that the devil's like, okay, sure, let's do this. Why not? Yeah. So I, I think that at, at the party, um, we we really get what I, I, what I would say really sh- shines... Uh, one of the few things that I, I do like about this movie is that it seems like their whole uh, th- their whole budget that did not got spent on did not get spent on writers but did get spent on uh, like the costumes and the sets and the weird makeup and it is truly like the attendees of that party are a cast of weirdos for the ages they don't get to do anything fun. It's mind blowing how many costumes are in this film. I know. <laughs> and set pieces and like and retrofitted cars and motorcycles. Like they must have an army of craftspeople working around the <laughs> clock on this film. And and for what? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And for what is right. Yeah. To what to what end? Um, so yeah, uh, we're talking a little bit about the religious aspects of this and it kinda ties in with what Chris's talking about of the Chris and Katie, the spectacle of it. So I will uh, note this now. So I've got a couple sections that I cut from a couple different websites. So I'm just going to read these things because it's better than summarizing just some of the actual quotes. But the movie originally had a completely different opening. 
that's just absent now. And I don't think that opening would have solved anything. I don't think we would have been like, that's the key that unlocks this all. But that said, I think it would have been a little bit clearer of what the intentions were, at least the metaphor of going, we're going for a religious thing, guys. Because without it, we start in with, oh, it's these people at a song contest, and then there are these other people at a song contest, and then there are these evil guys in a booth, and we have no context for, like, what any of this is supposed to be. But, so, the original stuff. Um, so this is from somebody uh, working on it. So there was a, a sequence called Paradise Day that was supposed to open, and apparently it took a million dollars to make just this. I'm so and happy it, it says, got cut. And it says he was shooting this part that was never that never ended up on screen because it was terrible. It was terrible. There was like fifteen dinosaurs on the set. I couldn't believe my eyes. And then that's the end of the quote. The scene was filmed in an exterior location, um, a studio which was used as a location for the penthouse. Da da da. The actor who portrayed Mr. Tops recalled that the scene consisted of a combination of both real and quote phony animals. And the Mr. Tops character was in a crevice making Alfie and his, uh, and singing the song. Oh, he's making Alfie, so our, our lead male character, making Alfie, and he was singing the song Creation. So Mr. Tops, we find out later, is this God figure. So we would have started with this God figure creating essentially Adam in the beginning. So there's at least a little bit of context there. Uh, multiple problems occurred during shooting the sequence, such as the dinosaur pieces falling down and a tiger <laughs> running from the set. <laughs> the uncut scene also involved both Mr. Tops and the devil character, Mr. Boogalow, doing a dance together, which involved Boogalow actor Vladek Shebal falling on a river. I don't know how you fall on a river instead of in it, but okay. And then uh, the other bit, uh, this has some other good details. The film originally began with a sequence in which Mr. Tops, a.k.a. God, creates the world. He sings the song Creation and brings various creatures, including Alfie, to life. Then he sings a song with Mr. Boogalow, a.k.a. the devil, who ultimately falls into a stream and disappears. Live animals, humans, puppets, and people in costumes filled a small set. Mishaps abounded as a tiger got loose. The elephants got their trunks stuck in set pieces. People wearing a brontosaurus costume collapse from the heat, and the terrain and restrictive size of the set proved difficult for the actors to dance through and cameras to maneuver. The omission of this disastrous shoot makes the biblical ending of the movie seem completely random. I want footage of that. Release, release the boogaloo cut. Look, Roar was fine keeping all of that, you cowards. They're just tigers in. running around on set. <laughs> Poor elephants are just putting their, they're just their, they probably got their their trucks stuck in those big glasses with the yeah. pentatonics. Look, my, my favorite my favorite detail might be that there were people dressed as brontosauruses passing out from the heat. Like that's just such a wonderful detail. <laughs> like I'm just imagining like someone gave the elephants the script and they're like, we got to get out of this. There's figure this out. <laughs> The tiger is, has been classically trained in musical theater, and it's like, <laughs> not today, Satan. Not today, Bogolo. Oh, my I, God. I long for that to be in the film. <laughs> I, I want to see that. Here's my question, though. If we're opening with that, if it still goes straight to the World Vision Song like Festival in 1994, 
That still makes no sense. Like how? At when, least I've seen Mr. Top before he comes in at the end and is like, I'm Mr. Top. And I'm like, my wife started watching this movie with me halfway through. She turned to me and said, who's Mr. Top? And I said, I have no fucking clue. Yeah. He's a car dealer in the sky. I, I, I think, though, Dusty, it would at least put the religious stuff in your mind. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah, would yeah. understand that, like, all right, there's an Adam character, there's an Eve character, the movie's called The Apple, this guy's clearly God, this guy's clearly the devil, we're creating animals. We at least, like, even if you're not super religious, you know the basic beats of the Genesis story and Christianity. So you're like, okay, I see what's happening. And then the rest of the movie is going to be an utter train wreck that's not fun. <laughs> but you at least have been primed. I see. And... I, 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 do you, I mean, I agree with you, Chris, because I think the main thing that that sequence would have done, it is in addition to bringing me incredible, intense, schadenfreude joy, is, is at least show us... <laughs> The, the man, Mr. Tops, who otherwise were introduced to 90 seconds before the end, where Elfie's like looking at the sky being like, where's Mr. Tops? He's gotta be here! And Mr. Tops could well have just been like a chimp at a top hat, <laughs> in terms of how much build-up or explanation we had. But I also think, I mean... They ended up cutting the chimp after he attacked several handlers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they were, Mr. Chimp was part of, uh, of SAG and this was a non-union, non-union set, so he had to go. Uh, but I, I, don't you, I, I didn't really feel like, once they had that whole, um, underground hell scene where, where Alfie and BB had the classic bad community theater Adam and Eve costumes and they had a giant apple, I thought it was pretty clear, you know, what was going on at that point? I mean, it was, for me, the movie was so much about, again, knowing nothing about it, the movie was so much about, like, the 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 way the recording industry takes advantage of people. I just saw that scene as, like, an over-the-top portrayal of, you know, like, oh, these recording execs are the devil. I wasn't expecting it to be like, and now the rest of the film is about Adam and Eve. Like, I thought it was just like, oh, we're going to go over the top with this number about how this guy's evil. We'll do it. He's the devil. I didn't sense. expect, I wasn't like, oh, if he's the devil, where's God at? Although, Is he although, in a car somewhere? Although, in the film's defense, they cast an actor and they made him up in the face to look explicitly like the devil. Like, sure. he, he has a cartoon devil face. <laughs> this this man's real face. Chris, and so, for me, the whole time, it was just like, they were railing against the industry and the man yeah Um, what you're describing is too thematically a consistent film for them to produce here Mm -hmm. and it was that way until the end happened and just train wrecked me yeah well and and i think you'd also have to say like all right so even if your goal with the film was we're gonna do this religious allegory or even going to like play fast and loose with religious imagery while we tell this other story about the musical industry okay there's movies that have done that kind of stuff and that's fine, but then this movie shoehorns in this totalitarian state stuff. And so then it's like, pick a lane, guys. I mean, <laughs> I know, Dusty, you're talking about like the rapture and you have this Mark of the Beast stuff, but I don't know. I, I don't, 
for one thing, you you know, Genesis and Rapture are are very different parts of the Bible, and there's they're not doing anything yeah. in between. There was yeah. there was no Sermon on the Mount in this movie. Oh no, they're, so yeah. they're not they're not bridging the gaps anywhere here. Yeah, it's literally the exact opposite ends of the Bible. Yeah. but yeah, and it's all right. I'm gonna pose a question. It might be it might be controversial. Can't wait for this hot take. What is what did Mister Boogaloo do wrong at any point? <laughs> Here's what he, here's what I don't he, understand I enough about what happened to I'll, answer that I'll question. <laughs> I'll tell you. I know exactly what he did wrong. This. <laughs> it's when Alfie, first of all, the sequence in the office building is by far my favorite part of this movie. I love that it's all happening at 9 a.m. and they're all just in, in casino wear. Um, but it is very appropriate that when someone says, here's this contract, sign it, you have the opportunity. And they say... I want a lawyer. They they should have a lawyer. They should yeah. have Mr. Bogolo did pressure them into trying to sign a contract and that's not that's not okay. Though I agree it's probably like pretty historically accurate to the evils of the music industry. But but, that also, but is that the ultimate cool. evil of the devil? <laughs> like if he's the would devil. It stand up in court. Would it stand up in court if you owed someone Ten million dollars because you left your yeah. contract or whatever it was, yeah, also, and also they had the cops. Oh, uh, I forgot about the end. <laughs> Shit! You, you can't. You can't. You can't arrest an entire hippie colony because one person um has a has a civil lawsuit against them. Pending. Well, they were in the park before seven. That is true. That is true. And they don't um, clean up their fires, so. Let's I like I like that Dusty's waltzing into this uh, like like Lionel Hutz in that Simpsons episode, <laughs> just just ready to like debate the devil just over soul. Literally, devil's advocate here. And I ask you, what is a contract? Uh, <laughs> it's an agreement under the law, which is unbreakable. But but it's the bigger question of like he's not screwing over BB in the contract until she leaves. It's like you know. He's just like, I made you famous. She doesn't really appear to be unhappy other than the fact she missed that, misses that complete boner of a human Alfie. Like, Lucky, I would pose that even before the breaking of a contract, it, you are still taking advantage of the person with whom you have, you know, strong-armed into signing a contract. Although I agree, it's not a, it's more of a just like, sleazy capitalist move yeah. than the, the the high Faustian devilry that I would expect yeah. in a movie like this. And that's but, more of my, my argument. I assume the... there was a love potion involved, because to continue <laughs> the plot of the movie, right after they leave the Eurovision Song Contest, they go to the party, BB goes upstairs, and uh, the devil character sends Dandy, is it Dandy? Yeah. Sends uh... Dandy up after her. No, Dandy, he gives her yes. one drug, um, and all of a sudden she's singing a song about like, how do you do this to me? Like yeah. every time you touch me, it's like, this is the first time he's ever touched yeah. you. Chris, I dispute that because I, I also was a little confused. She took that pill and within like four seconds, she is kissing him and they're singing that weird love song. I say that the, that BB was just easy. She was just looking, she just had the hots for Pandy or Dandy. I think it was classic <laughs> devil love potionry. <laughs> Are love potions classic devilry? Classic. <laughs> I think we're we're all overlooking the fact that that guy was a dead ringer for a young Roger Daltrey, and who could pass that up? Who, who would? 
So that's it's one of the two. She's either easier or it was a love potion, but she went from like stranger danger to uh when I feel your touch it does something to me like within about four seconds of taking that pill. Yeah. I wanna I wanna I wanna point this out because it's actually really heavily featured in the first, you know, like interminable twenty minutes of the film and then drop pretty quickly is how often they hit the beat that Alfie and BB are from a place in Canada called Moose Jaw. Yep. Yeah. From Saskatchewan. They're just so they're just so pleased as punch that, that they have created the concept or, or have learned of the location named Moose Jaw and they say it with like they, they really hit it at least four times it's, in the dialogue. It's like it's like they're trying to put in like a Brad and Janet thing of like, look at these goofy squares, but then they do nothing fun with it at all. So it's, it's like, the well, it's the comedy that was referenced in the in yeah. the musical comedy <laughs> sci fi. Alfie is just Alfie is just a square square. He's a bummer from the beginning. Yeah. And you know, Go home. Go go back to Professor Sprout if you want to, Alfie. If you're not having a good time, yeah. Like, go back to the to the slums of the East Village. Yeah, like clearly, BB's doing great, if not better, without you. Like she will, she'll go off on her own. It'll be fine. Go live in your fucking death cult, Alfie, and write your fucking sad sack whiny bullshit, and wait for emo to become big in two thousand four. No, he would definitely pivot into like weird coated white nationalist <laughs> yeah 100 percent. yeah he has the face for it i think that alfie was in on the oklahoma city bombings actually in 1994 <laughs> this is right? what you get for not signing me devil <laughs> uh but 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 then yeah they, they they bb and alfie are you know she has that weird lust song they they have this attempt at having like the, the party characters provide like humorous backup. Oh, it, that that dancing is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's like the song is very bad. Um, and the guy spins in his chair like seven times, like smoking a cigarette. Yes, yeah. yes. And there's someone new on his lap each time. Comedy. Yes. Um, but so then they then the next day they go to what again what is by far my favorite sequence, which is, you know, it's a it's a you know early you know Monday morning they go to they go to the the music company's office to discuss contracts and had to have been filmed in an airport right the whole film has a weird like brutalist soviet vibe like i think they filmed in berlin um and you can you can tell that it is not the america they reference over and over again but um then yeah they you've got this they sing this song about this is how everyone does business in 1994 or this is what business is like in 1994. Something about business and the, and the year 1994. And they have, they just, everyone is so on. They're so on. And all I can think about is like, it is like 9, 10 a.m., y'all. And they have, the, you know, the, the the ballet dancers who are not ballet dancers in, in their Las Vegas look. They have that very tall man that then, like, is a small man, but they're clearly two different men. And this is where I think that Mr. Bogolo's actor really shines because the entirety of the song is just him, like, sing-songing to the camera, just, like, vamping tremendously. And, again, this is all supposed to be taking place in in, in a business location. 
He and... also sang the entire song, and at the end, they were like, all right, let's go see Mr. Boogaloo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, he was there the whole time. It's just, um, that's, that's, that is, from what I recall, that is how they did business in 1994. Yeah. No, that's classic devil shit, you know? Yeah, no. Classic devilry. No, that's classic <laughs> 1994 shit. Just, just, every, everyone was having such a good time at the office. <laughs> So uh, one uh, one interesting or weird note about this movie, we've talked about like the crazy costumes and that this movie is very extra in every way that it can be, is so we've been describing this as best we can. I'm sure anyone listening is like, what the fuck is happening? Well, you're in the perfect state of mind because that's where we all were. But it's what's bizarre is you watch a lot of these cult films. I've seen a lot of cult films and a lot of things, you know, you're watching it and it's like, Oh, this is a movie that was always destined to be bad. This was always going to be a failure, like Mano's hands of fate and that kind of stuff where it's just, this had nothing going for it, had no money, you know, the idea is bad and all that kind of stuff. And you walk in and you're just watching something that's so poorly put together. This is not like on the, like visual of it. And then, as we said, the costuming and, like, set design, that kind of stuff, it's not incompetent. The storytelling is, the whole overall direction of it is, but there's a lot of, like, talented stuff going on of people doing their best to try to, like, make this scene work or this sequence work. Not in the acting, really, uh, other than the devil man, but, um, but, like, in terms of the actual production of it. So the thing that strikes me weird about this movie is... So this movie came out in 1980. It cost $10 million, which I don't know the exact, um, you know, like the inflation rate or anything. But I would think that that would be comparable to a movie costing maybe 30 or $40 million today. That's still like a legit studio or I mean, this wasn't like a studio film, but it's like a, wherever they got their funding. It's like a legit investment. And as a, a, a way to kind of gauge it, so Xanadu, which Dusty mentioned, is another very famous and bad musical, also from 1980. That cost $20 million, but it had Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly. And so that, like, they had to pay them. And this movie has nobody. There's no stars in this. And then A Chorus Line came out in 1985, and it cost $25 million, And that's like a studio film of a very famous musical although i was telling chris earlier like i don't really get where 25 million went because most of a chorus line is just on a bare ass stage uh richard attenborough directed it so maybe uh he got some of that but then rocky horror richard attenborough the nature guy that's david attenborough david attenborough richard attenborough the (laughs) jurassic park old man i would love to see david attenborough's (laughs) chorus line Oh, that'd be wonderful. Um, but then the other example, so Rocky Horror, which I would say this is at least partly trying to play off of in thinking of, oh, that became this big cult hit and we could potentially do that too. Well, Rocky was more of a kind of homegrown effort and it only cost $1.4 million and that was in 1975. And Rocky has some parts that are definitely kind of like stitched together and things that don't look super polished and that's part of the charm. But yes, yeah, somebody gave them ten million dollars to make this. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get where that money I think came it's from. It's clear where it went too, though. It was like in the opening scene, it's a band of two people, and there's like forty dancers on stage, all with costumes. There's like a full audience shot of people, like very clearly in future costumes. Like they just blew all the money on 
on the costumes, the locations, and the, the 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 like the set pieces and that like hellscape that's in the next scene. Yeah. We um, also have to remember that apparently they they spent a full tenth of their budget on that cut Mr. Top's dinosaur scene. <laughs> if, if the movie cost ten million dollars, so uh, yeah, it does. The movie does sort of feel like um, it was really made by by uh, like costume and set people, and so then they were like, oh, let's hire you know like our friend, you know, Jim, who works at the gas station, I've heard he's in a band. He'll do the music direction. But that's the other thing is, like, this kind of movie doesn't really get made without, like, an tour behind it. It wasn't, like, a famous property that someone was like, oh, we got to make this. Someone was like, I have a vision, and here's what it is. Like, that's yeah. how this gets made. Well, in looking into it, um, Golem, like, he very clearly wanted to be a musical director, uh, one of his earlier credits is he directed uh, Tevia and His Seven Daughters, which was like kind of the prequel to Fiddler. He did a version of Three Penny Opera in 1989 starring Raul Julia called Mac the Knife. Like, he desperately wanted to be a musical director. He just he just didn't know what he was doing. Well, and Chris, what you're talking about of like being kind of a passion project, uh, if anyone has it handy, we could dig into it. But I, there's some lengthy information about this online, and it originally was like... I think it was like a partnership of writers for the songs and they had a completely different, it was still like biblical stuff, but they were going to do, it was much more, I think the 1984 riff and they had songs that were in Hebrew, I think, because I think they were Israeli. Um, so they, they had their whole thing they were going to do. This guy comes across is interested in the idea, wants to make it. And then they basically like, he ended up throwing out kind of like all the songs and reworking everything. I think those people were sort of like, wait, what? N no, that's not what well, this isn't what. So, I mean, I think it started in some form as something someone really wanted to do. I don't know how clear or good that would have been either, but then in the production process, everything got reconfigured. So that's probably partly why the end result is just like, what are you going for here? What is the goal with this? And it is weird since, yeah, the, 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 the Wikipedia page specifically talks about translating the songs from, like, Hebrew to English. And that, yeah, it was, seems like it was primarily, you know, a, a project that was spearheaded by Israeli producers and composers and such. So I don't even know when I read through the, the, uh, the production story it looks like it's much more based on like 1984 and and so i don't know where this um hackney religious concept like came in especially considering that you know the end straight up ends with the rapture um it's very i don't know how this movie came to be and the more i i learn about it the more i continue to not understand how this movie came to be but uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that devil sequence. Because... Yeah, I feel like uh, we're 40 minutes into this-ish, uh, minus whatever cuts, and we've talked about 15 minutes of the film. <laughs> As someone said earlier, we're putting a lot more thought into this than the creators of the film did. The, the, the devil scene, I, I truly, man, this, the, whole, the whole movie gives me strong community theater vibes. But that devil scene gives me strong, like that. They could have just filmed that 
in some of the local theater productions companies that i've seen with the same level of passion and talent and prop value that big obviously fake stupid looking apple that they just were passing around like it, it was and the, and the adam and eve costumes but it was also like things were like weirdly sexy but not sexy enough a vampire shows up at one point <laughs> and i don't understand why there are people on nooses but then they're dancing <laughs> yeah napoleon's in there napoleon was there also it seemed like there were like 50 professional dancers but then like flanking the guy singing were two wolves just trying to keep the beat (laughs) (laughs) there's also a guy with like a second face attached to his face which took some like money to do that and then there's these like island of dr moreau man beast people that like are there which i don't really know why but it looks kind of cool I, I I hate to, I hate to give a reason. It's because Boogaloo's um, muscle—they're essentially orcs because they have those like weird orc teeth throughout the whole fucking movie. Yeah, as if it's—I can't believe they made those actors stick their jaw out like dummies and then have those little orc teeth. And do you know what those 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 characters' names were? One was Bulldog. One was Bulldog, Bulldog and you're like, oh, okay, that's like kind of like makes sense as a weird bad muscle name. And the other one was named. Fat dog. And I don't feel like that's very nice at all. My name's Glenn. I'm I'm, I'm fit. I'm I'm a pretty fit guy here. I studied bodyguarding at Carnegie. This is bullshit. I think they were both like quite successful actors, actually. When I looked it up. They were big and like, you know, they had that British, British guy you know, whatever. This yeah. is, we're, we're, I'm, I'm fading fast. Um, <laughs> but the title song, The Apple, is, I think, you know, I, I, it's not good. It's very bad. But it's the closest to catchy that this musical has because, as I've been saying before we started, the, the melody and the actual content of, of all of these songs, except the one that says speed a lot, and this song are, is gone completely from my mind. I could not sing them. I could not hum them. There's something about business in 1994. Uh, I'm going to argue a case for a few of Alfie's songs musically being good. What? Although the lyrics, uh, the lyrics no, were no. obviously a first draft that someone was like, perfect. I, I walked away not enjoying a single song, uh, but the, I will say that the Apple was the closest, like I had said to you earlier, Katie, the Apple was one where I was like, okay, yeah, there's something here that, like, if you worked on this, this could be, like, your standout. I mean, it's clearly trying to be the standout number. Yeah. But I don't think it's helped by the fact that uh, 90% of the lyrics are them just repeating the word Apple. In slight variation, so like, is it catchy or is it just so banal it pierces your brain like a banshee? I don't know. Apple, apple, this is apple, crazy apple, sexy apple. Like, it is truly. Um, I I would like to point out choreography that drove me fucking nuts during that song and proved that it could have been shorter. Because BB is constantly reaching for the apple. She wants to eat it. She wants to be a part of this devilry. And they keep pulling it away from her. It's just like, you fuck, you fucking sold it, man. Fucking don't. <laughs> fucking sign the contract. Don't push this out longer. We got dinner at five, man. Look, the- there's a presentation to this, Dusty. <laughs> All of the songs are 
too long by half. Every song, <laughs> especially yes. those Elvis yes. songs, when they, and any song oh. where they're not, there's not a lot of spectacle, feel interminable. But the songs themselves, despite being only like two and a half minutes long, they go on, they go on and on and on and on and and this movie feels like it never ends but it's only, it's not even 90 oh yeah minutes. it's a, it's an hour and a half and uh, it it felt so long to me um on the subject of songs though there is a standout for me not because it's good but just more in a way of like i'm watching and i'm like oh okay because the rest of the movie, it operates, like we're saying, it, it's it's very unclear of what they're trying to do. But you get this like, religious stuff, you get this 1984 stuff. And it, there's nothing in it that is salacious. There's nothing oh. in it that's exploitative, really. I mean, there's, I mean, there's like, you see some people in skimpy costumes during the Apple thing and stuff. So, like, there's a little bit, but it's not... It's not pushing things like as even as much as Rocky was doing five years earlier or many other, um, you know, like exploitive, exploitative movies and stuff of the era. But, yeah, so there's this song called Coming. And here are some (laughs) of the choice lyrics from Coming. Make it harder and harder, faster and faster. And when you think you can't keep it up, I'll make it deeper and deeper, tighter and tighter, and drain every drop of your love. Again, not a rhyme like Chris talked about earlier. Coming, coming for you. Feel me coming. I'm coming for you. Coming, coming for you. Feel me coming. I'm coming just for you. And right now I feel like um, a fucking conservative asshole. What's his name? Uh, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro (laughs) reading these lyrics. Uh, Wet ass pussy. Wet wet ass P word. Um, but yeah, so like the lyrics are insane, but yeah, if someone would like to do very well on that song either. Well, yeah, if someone wants to describe the, the scene we are witnessing during that. I don't know what happened. I just want to say that like about every other person in this song could sing and she came out swinging with a real bad voice in that song, but then she sings in the next song and she kills it in like a higher register. I'm like, yeah. what happened? Who let you sing this yeah. song? So to set the scene, uh, BB's become world famous. She's singing a song about how America loves speed. It's very, it's a song. And she's gotten famous and Alfie misses her. And eventually Alfie shows up at some weird party. And while he's there, Pandy, the half of the BIM group, uh, date rapes him in, oh, yeah. a, in a drug moment. And um, then the song starts about 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 just fucking, um, yeah, and that's what spurs about three and a half minutes of porn. Yeah, but it's also like weirdly like it's it's very obviously. I'm gonna I I don't know I'm gonna shock the audience. Very obviously about sex and porn, but it's also weirdly like unsexy. <laughs> Yeah, and the camera's just sense. like dizzy spinning around, They're not showing anything. Yeah. And and the the production, this is another place like where'd their money go? I don't know. Probably went for, to this like high up shot where there are like twelve different beds set up on some soundstage somewhere where they're all doing choreographed like dance dance fucking ballet dance fucking. Yeah, I was watching that, and that's like you got to get a whole warehouse dark to shoot that so, bad. Boy. It was so, it was so <laughs> it was so big and it, it and it was so stupid and um 
I'll also say, and this is gonna, I'm surprised that this movie, at, with a song called Coming, with their dream ballet sex scene, there were there was not a tick to be had. There was no topless scenes. I think it was PG-13, yeah. wasn't it? PG, yeah. PG, PG-13 didn't exist at the time, so this would have been a PG movie, I would think. Unless, I, unless, I it, went, unless it went all the way to R, because sometimes there's like weird stuff of, you know, I, I don't know. But yeah, PG-13 didn't exist until yeah. uh, after Temple of Doom and Gremlins. But yeah, that's a really good point. Their pasties budget was on point. So they, they really nailed that. But, um, but yeah. That, I, I would say the, the um, I actually, I want to write down once, I, I, I wrote one specific note down, and um, so after the, after the apple scene, um, before we get to the, you know, dream ballet sex scene, uh, they, they have this scene where it's all about Bibby becoming, like, you know, a rock star, and it's about being a master, which is weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but at one point, it cuts to um, them all sort of slowly pedaling stationary bikes as she's getting her hair yeah. done. <laughs> I laughed out loud. That cut and then that like ten second sequence was so fun. They're just slowly. They're all still in their you know uh, bedazzled weird hell garb and just slowly riding these futuristic looking stationary bikes and just perfectly serene as they're singing about you can be a master which is weird and uncomfortable but that decision i would say cinematically a plus yeah he's just uh, thinking about like how good he is at keeping slaves and then smash cut to him on a bike <laughs> um, and again dusty if we're if we're keeping track of if he's good or bad uh, he sings All that right, song look. about how good he is at keeping people his slaves. Wouldn't you say a record producer has, aren't the artists just slaves? Well, look at Taylor Swift, right? Think about that. Yeah, or Kesha. Yeah. Think about oh, it. Kesha. <laughs> uh, up to, update Oof. on the, the rating. So it looks like in the United States uh, and Canada, it was PG. In Quebec, it was rated G. I don't know if that means. I don't know if that means the same thing in Quebec. Uh, are, they, are they actually fucking? No, she doesn't can see it. In, in, Nor- in Norway, it's sixteen, which I'm guessing is probably like uh, you know uh, you have to be sixteen. West Germany is also sixteen. India says A, so maybe adult, and then United Kingdom says AA, so I'm guessing you have to be an alcoholic to watch this film. <laughs> or a mid-sized battery. <laughs> Two. Um, oh, man. Man, the French Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the United States was PG, but yeah, I mean, this is back, like, the rating systems were notoriously odd because they didn't really start to kick into gear until the late 60s, early 70s. And then they didn't refine stuff until 85. So there's all kinds of weird stuff between that. that where where your, your, your two ratings were, P, well, I guess you could do G, you could do PG, or you could do R. And then like extreme examples went to X. But you even have stuff like Airplane has nudity in it. Like there are women's breasts in a couple scenes in Airplane, and that's a PG movie. And so there's there's stuff like that. So, but yeah, apparently this went out as a, a PG rated film. Because I guess PG was parental guidance. Um, yeah. Which I don't know how much guidance your parents can give you on this film. 
So, I guess, like, yeah. if we're talking about what the rating is, it makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, I mean, Chris, when, when two musicians kind of like each other enough, they sign into a contract and go to hell for a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Look, oh, when, no, when, when 16 people dance fuck enough... <laughs> they were oh, really, like, the, the men were, like, lifting the women into the air on a bed, which is quite soft, like... They, they spent a lot of money on dancers in this movie. <laughs> um, but but uh, actually, can we talk about the the, the the speed song, Dusty? I know that you. I, have, I would love to. I would love to. This is BB's um, like like red hot American hit song, where it's just about speed and her debut. Her sp- yeah, speed. That's. The, yeah. the word speed, like in the the song The Apple, the word speed is, I don't know, 70% of the lyrics? Yeah. Yeah, it's like 70% speed, 30% American jingoism, and it's perfect. It's a perfect song. And that might just be because all of the dancers surrounding it are on bikes that have been broken, and they're all leather daddies just having a day. <laughs> it's... They are I love it. Day. I love everything about that stupid, terrible song I'll never purposely listen to ever again. Was Speed the name of a drug when this movie was released, or did it become the name of a drug instantly when people saw this film? (laughs) Chris, there is no way the second half of your question makes any sense, because I don't believe anyone did see this film. (laughs) As long as there have been drugs, Chris, there has been a drug called Speed. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. My note on this song is the speed song is almost good. Actually, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think her, it, like, whoever's singing, which I think is not her, no, it's is, not like, her. selling it, like, yeah. vocally. She she is really giving, like, I, there's, I can't recreate the, like, weird rumbly passion she sings when she goes, <laughs> but it's from Pretty the close. gut. Um yeah, she was uh, she was dubbed by someone named Mary Highland. Mary Highland can get it on that song, is all I'm saying. Yeah, but the song is it's so long that by the time you hear her say the word "speed" for the thirteenth time, you still want to just just throw yourself off a bridge onto a river, like happened in the hell sequence, the the paradise sequence. <laughs> anyway, then my next note is lesbian icon Miriam. Margolis or Margolos. This is when we we reach the um the newsies half of the newsies portion of the film, <laughs> where we cut back to you know moldy bread Alfie, who's being sad about BB, and is uh, comforted by the the uh, most uh, Jewish landlady there has ever been, as she says lines like. You kids these days, so meshuga. As she comforts him, and I, I can't emphasize how much she is in a different movie than everyone else. <laughs> she is in, she is in a period piece, uh, and they are in 1994. She's, she's essentially Terry Jones from Every Sperm Is Sacred, just put in the middle of this film. <laughs> she serves 
Like, is she supposed to humanize Alfie? Like, for a while I thought she was his mom, and then I guess the landlady, and it's... She 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 said <sighs> she's the landlady at some point in her dialogue. She keeps oh, talking God. about the rent and in a, in a humorous way. Does she get raptured at the end, or does she burn alive with all of the <laughs> devil people? No, no, no. You, you see, she said the word Meshuggah. She's Jewish. She can't come. <laughs> <laughs> But they're the chosen people, Katie. Yeah, but is she is she is she living with the hippies in the forest? Yeah, forty people, forty people total get raptured. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now there is were this... a couple cops also. Okay, 40, 43. Is this movie Jews for Jesus propaganda? Surely. Don't even put that. I in. I did I did see a note place. like no. there there was some criticism of that the movie could be seen as like fairly homophobic in that all of all of the gay characters because they're like well i don't know if they're explicitly said to be gay but they're a lot of them are presenting as gay uh in you know they they seem to be gay um and they are all on the devils they're all demon people like oh yeah this movie gets a platinum award for their gay coded villains like (laughs) yeah yeah this is up there in the hall of fame of queer coded villains and I, I do. I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because when we were discussing it, uh, my girlfriend and I beforehand, we, we said that this is somehow, and not not in a fun way, but kind of in a fun way, it's such a gay yet also homophobic movie mm-hmm. that that it's um, that it's almost fun, but then everything else about it makes it not fun. But but it, it is. Yeah. Well, well, like I said, I was so lost in even just the basics of the plot. And I was also getting real checked out. Sure. Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously you have the people who are on the devil's side. Uh, I think they're being played by gay actors. And then they're presenting in, you know, some of the male characters are presenting as like effeminate and things like that. I guess... Are, but but so much of it's so like flamboyant and silly, and I could see a lot of gay people just wanting to be part of that side of things because it's more fun. It but I but I I guess I'm curious. Like, were you noting anything? Were there any lines or were there any things to indicate? Like, oh, the movie has an agenda because I I genuinely could have missed some stuff just from sheer lack of enjoyment. <laughs> It, it doesn't like I, like I would say the best of all queer coded villain media. It's almost it's not it's almost not there. It's not there on purpose. It's just uh, it's so like the like the, the the to be evil to be fay and sort of you know looking like you know to to be the man wearing makeup and never wearing a shirt with your blazers. And we're in smoking very long cigarettes. Yeah. It's just so sort of like intrinsically built into like what is coded as evil in the universe. But I mean, it's not. I don't think that this movie could ever have a clear enough message to to <laughs> on any topic to to really come come down one way or the other. Um, but no, that's I think that's the problem is is that. Um, and I would say that you know for everybody but you know like you know that like the bob seeger fans wouldn't we all want to be with the like fancy nonsense party people versus the like 
the homeless hippies in the weird Matrix cave <laughs> sequence. Well, yeah, I, I saw it was like, it was some critic's uh, statement. I mean, I don't know if this was like a legit critic or it looks like it might have just been like from some, from DVD talk or something, or, or maybe, I, I can't quite tell. But anyway, something was saying that uh, Smith wrote that the film involves a homophobic protagonist, Alfie, trying to save his, quote, normal relationship with Bibby from what the film considers satanic, which includes electronic music, glitter, homosexuals, and drag queens. Oh, yeah. And, like, mm. I mean, I could see that argument, I guess, but, yeah, I, I that seems like it's you're reading into subtext, but kind of what you're saying, Katie, I don't know that there's any kind of clarity of message, so, like, it seems like some of this might be accidental subtext. This reminds <laughs> me of uh, The Onion made a web series called Sex House, uh, and in it, one of the characters says, to call this place evil implies a clarity of purpose that I do not want to attribute to anybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's clearly, it, 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 you know, it, it, the, it is all of what DVD talks, um, which sounds like an online therapist website. The good people at DVD <laughs> talk. Good, I mean, I, I think that they're correct. But I don't think that it's because Alfie is like homophobic. He, I would say that he's just um, he's just a fucking he's just he he he's, he sucks. Alfie sucks. All he wants to do he's he he, he he just wants to wear jeans and show his chest hair and love a good woman in the forest. And I guess that's fine. Um, but you know it's just um. It's it, it, it just he just mostly seems like a bummer until like the weird, um, like hippie inclusion in the third act, which then it's like oh I guess I thought that it was supposed to just the world was like this just because it was you know nineteen eighty gay nineteen eighty four um and I guess no now there's a specific like goodness contrast I don't know. I'm, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, no. I I'm certain that it was not. No conscious thought of that went into this movie. I, I think I I kind of think that the, the creators of this film were surprised by the hippies in the third act, as all the rest of us, uh, <laughs> because they they came out of nowhere. Oh man, my favorite. Like, my biggest laugh of this film was uh, there were a lot of hippies in the park that uh, our main character, Alfie, had joined. And then all of and and we knew that Alfie was on the bad side of the law here. He wasn't wearing his BIM mark, and he <laughs> wasn't signing his contract. And so you see two cop cars, two futuristic cop cars, one that they had written chief of police on, <laughs> like, pulling up to the park. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. They're going to get him. And then all the hippies scramble. Alfie doesn't because he's dumb. Um, the cops get out of the car. Alfie's standing in the middle of like seven open fires. <laughs> the chief of police who brought backup says, you can't be in the park. The, the park is closed to the public before 7.30 a.m. <laughs> and Alfie's like, got it and leave. <laughs> I was like, I thought they were going to arrest him. They made two whole cop cars. Crisis averted. <laughs> and then the cops drive away from the open fires in the park. 
So, so Chris is alluding to uh, part of what you're talking about here relates to my favorite part of the film, namely my only favorite part of the, the only part of the film I enjoyed. So there's these futuristic cars that they present. It, it shows up at a couple points, and the 1984 stormtroopery guys have them. And uh, I saw there are actually a couple different versions of it. There are motorcycles also, dumb futuristic motorcycles. Yeah, yeah. So, but the thing that caught my eye when I saw it, um, but yeah. So, so the you see these cars in several different scenes, but the first time it popped up on screen, I was like, "Wait a second, is that?" So, if anyone's a big Simpsons fan, um, you might remember that in season two of The Simpsons, there's an episode called "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou." And it's where Homer's half-brother Herb shows up for the first time. And Herb runs a... Uh, he makes cars and he gets Homer to create a car because he wants, like, a car for the common man. So he's just having his guys build a car exactly to Homer's specifications. And then the plot ends with Homer creating this fucking ludicrous car that's just hideous and no one on Earth would ever want to own it. And it just destroys his brother's company and his brother, like, never wants to see him again. So that's basically what happens. It's like one of the very early episodes of The Simpsons. I am convinced that the car, cars seen in the apple served as inspiration for Homer's hideous car. Because in Homer's car, you have this, like, weird double bubble top that's like there's these clear things. Homer sits. It's all like a, a George Jetson thing, but there's two of them. And then it has this big rectangular body, almost like a like a Cadillac. It's got these uh, this big like back fin on it. It's the sickly color of green, <laughs> and it's it has all this like extra shit that Homer put on it. It's just like a hideous car. This movie has so many things that line up with that. It's like the same color green. It's got these clear bubble top things. It's got this back fin. It's got extra stuff on it. It's got, like, double headlights on either side of the front. And cherry on top, Homer has this, like, hideous horn that he has sitting directly on top of the top of the car that, like, just, like, just a huge end of the horn coming out in front of the windshield. And this movie has that, too. So I am convinced that the Simpsons writers and animators took this as inspiration from this ridiculous, obscure, terrible musical. Uh, I tried to reach out to some of the Simpsons writers on uh, Twitter, but I didn't get anywhere, um, which does remind me, if you haven't uh, liked or followed us, uh, please do so on Facebook and on Twitter. We uh, said just Uncanny Cinema and on Twitter, it's Uncanny Cinema or at Cinema Uncanny. But yeah, so uh, if anyone knows, if anyone can find this out for me, because I must solve this mystery, if Homer's hideous car came from the apple, I am convinced it did. How many more hidden apple references could there be in The Simpsons that we just haven't <laughs> noticed yet? Oh my god. Um, but I, I did, I, again, that's one of those things that like the movie clearly cared so much about the cars and the sets and the costumes, and... Uh, Man, ah, they could have, they could have spent their time, you know. Also, making the movie good. 
even the <laughs> second draft of any of those songs would have been just oh great. my god just finish writing the songs so a many first of the draft songs even are just like you know some lyrics that are bad and then the rest of the song is just we haven't talked about the dance break yet tell us about the dance break oh my gosh the, just the exercise break in the middle of everybody's oh dead god. oh yes yeah. i want to it's... talk about that the most repetitive song of all time and everybody doing Bim all great day. dancing. Hey, hey, hey. Bim's all Bim's day. On the way. Bim's, Bim's all... on the way. Bim's all the day. <laughs> but actually, I think that that sequence where, you know, these big sirens come on and mandate a whole hour of Bim exercises is, um, is very kind of very obviously like, oh, this is like the 1984 part, I guess. But um, first of all, an hour is a lot of exercise. Yeah. Second of all, that I would say that this sequence features the only uh, actual uh, comedy in the movie in this in this sci-fi musical comedy because there are these hilarious sequences like the firemen abandoning the fire to do their their dumb dance moves, and then the surgeons are you know you know, doing their surgery, they're like, oh, wait, I can't, we gotta, we gotta do our dance moves, but then you see the guy on the, 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 the on the slab also kind of doing dance moves, very funny. And that's Hilarious. just bad scheduling on their part. That's exactly, exactly. what I said when we were watching right. it. Was it like I, a know, discount? No, I, we discussed this, and, and I assume that perhaps this was like, em, this was emergency surgery that they couldn't plan around, right? Possibly. Mm. Sure. Um, but, uh, I also did like how different, um, different like organizations and groups seem to have different group dances. I bet that's really fun, you know, to have to learn the, the like landscaper dance once you join them. Uh, we also consider the possibility that maybe these BIM hours are uh, not regularly scheduled. They're just sort of random to keep people on their toes. Ooh, so maybe I they... thought they said you're regularly scheduled somewhere in there, yeah. but I might have just been uh, not paying attention to the movie and not remembering right now. <laughs> you, you know what? That sequence went on so long that, um, that I knew things at the beginning that I didn't know at the end. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, then uh, yeah, after after the weird sex scene and the, the, the bimming, the BIM, the BIM exercise... We really get into what um, we described uh, while we were watching it as a, a really late third act Godspell sequence where, sure. uh, yeah, the, the, this is when the hippies come and, and Alfie joins them in the, in a cave and learns about, I don't know, I don't know what the hippies stand for except not liking, just not liking sparkles, just wearing a lot of cotton. I guess <laughs> just being in the woods a lot, being in public public parks, huge breathable movies. fabrics. Yes, they just they just just they just love having their shirts half open, but not in a not in a fun way, in in a like look at how manly I am, I have chest hair kind of way. Oh, my favorite like just out of left field nonsense in the movie was uh, he went and joined the hippies in the cave, and then BB goes to the landlord, and is like, "Do you know where he is?" And she's like. I heard he was in the cave with some hippies <laughs> under the bridge. Like, where did you hear that from? <laughs> and there was a large cave to be under a bridge. Like, I, I did have that sequence. And, just some bad structural engineers in the future. You know, it, it, it just seems, it just seems like a really robust, permanent community that they have living in the park and under the caves. 
But that's also when they, the the character of Pandy really develops in a heretofore unseen characterization where she's like, go, BB, be with Alfie. And she sings, you know, in that higher register, so she sounds great. Yeah. Quite yeah. Well. But it's also like, what's happening? I just I fucked Alfie. And, <laughs> I just fucked Alfie, and he clearly loves you. Yes. I think I, his, the sex was just so bad that she was like, mm, he's <laughs> Go, go for it, bud. But in his defense, uh, she had roofied him. Yeah. So and she was singing that song the whole yeah, time. Pandy is a rapist. Uh, <laughs> let's put it out there. But what Justice I, for Alfie. No. No. Yeah. No. Yes. Well, I mean, he, he, grabbed some, he grabbed some landlord bosoms without asking. Too. Yeah, right. Justice. A lot of justice could be included in this film. Yeah. Um, Justice for us, the audience. <laughs> oh, I, I, I wholeheartedly endorse that. Um, speaking of speaking of the audience, uh, I, I feel we need to uh, address the reception to this film. So I'm once again going to read something because I think it's better this way in in total. So the Apple made its premiere as the opener of the 1980 Montreal World Film Festival, where its attendees received vinyl records of music from the film. The festival's president, Serge Losique, was recommended by his son to screen the movie. According to Jacob Bowitz, there were, quote, bad reviews almost everywhere. The movie garnered a largely negative audience at the festival, some watchers throwing the vinyl records at the screen. According the heartbeat to... went way down. like 98. <laughs> According to Stewart, when the picture was booed midway through at the 1980 Montreal Film Festival, Golan, who is the director, was so distraught he went to his hotel and was preparing to commit suicide by jumping off the balcony when his business partner barged in and stopped him. As Golan once said, quote, it's impossible that I'm so wrong about it. I cannot be that wrong about the movie. They just don't understand what I was trying to do. And he got that last part right. You know what? You're right. We, we didn't understand what you were trying to do, sir. Um, but I'm, I, let me ask you guys this question. Obviously, you know, I don't, it's not b bad enough to kill yourself over, right? For sure. No. Um, but what part do you think, midway through the film, at what part do you think that the audience began booing and throwing their quite dangerous vinyl records at the screen? Sex scene? Mm. I, I almost want to say Alfie's love song, the first one. I have it pulled up. I'm looking to see what's Midway. Midway hits about when the landlady shows up. Oh, no. <laughs> They're so furious at her warm, familiar presence. That they're yeah. They're just like, get out of here. You know, it might have been the part where Alfie does his second love song and the record execs that he's talking to are just like, nah, we don't want it. And then he flips them off and leaves the room. I do. Like that would be I, my right, breaking point. Right, I just right, don't feel like that's right before that's the, like sigh, but not right, like uh, throw records. Right before the landlady, it's uh, Bibby has like a big song, like in like a disco-y kind of thing Steve? with a bunch of lights. I don't know which song she's singing because I was be so Steve. checked out. It might have been, and then say... after the landlady, there's some like I don't know. People are like. There's like nuns in a park, and oh, there's yeah. like dancing and stuff. So I, I don't know any oh, of the, the any that's of the it. long dance break, right? The half hour dance break, probably. Yeah. By the, by the, you know what? By the third minute of the apple sequence, where they're all underground and it just won't end, 
I could see myself starting to boo. You know, I, I imagine it's that you've got to start booing when you're just so exhausted by what's happening on screen. That's the moment I would choose. Or any moment where, hmm. you know, Alfie's walking in the rain. There's that whole sequence. That part's interminable. This movie is so short, yet there are so many parts that just, you just want to be over so, there's, so much. There's just so much pain within. Yep. Which uh, brings me to, we are now close to an hour and a half on this. I honestly don't want to edit an episode on the Apple much longer than this. So <laughs> let's wrap this up. Well, uh, it, it doesn't deserve it, is what I'm saying. So, so... Let's fast forward to the end, which we're basically there. But um, I just want to point out that the, the hippie leader, like the weird old guy with the beard who doesn't have a shirt on, and I wish he did. Um, the, what do we think of the fact that he is Mr. Tops? But Mr. I saw it in the credits, and yeah. that's when I realized it. Yeah. And I said, oh, and then didn't think about it anymore. I don't, I don't like it, but uh, I think everything, once the hippies were introduced... Um, I, I, my enjoyment went down a lot because mm -hmm. all that I could, all that I, that was getting me through this was the absurd spectacle of it all. So, but, but there was also, so there's a time jump, which is weird, right? Because BB finds Alfie under the bridge, you know, she repents her bimness <laughs> and then, and then they, and then the next sequence show, shows those, shows those like. 300 stormtroopers coming to demand that BB, you know, be served with her lawsuit for her breaking her contract. Um, and they, she's, she's got, uh, like a nine month old kid with her. And, and I, 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 what I, I hated the hippies and I hated the end until Mr. Tops showed up. And then I was like, Oh, okay, this is ridiculous. Now yeah, at so least I'm having a little fun. <laughs> for people who have not seen the film, uh, the lucky amongst us, uh, the end of the film, all of the stormtroopers come and there's ready to be a big showdown. And then um, Alfie just says, like, I'm waiting for Mr. Tops. Is that what it is? Yeah. She says, uh, where he, he goes, uh, who is Mr. Tops? And at and that then, moment, we are all BB. Yeah. And then a car... I won't call it a Cadillac, but let's call it a Cadillac. I think it was a Rolls Royce. Yeah, a Rolls Royce yeah. descends from the heavens like a ghost, like it's see through. It never, never gets unsee through. Like it stays see through the whole time, right? Yeah, I think. And then uh, it's Mister. They're like, "Oh, it's Mister. Tops," and my wife says, "Who's Mister. Tops?" And I say, "Couldn't begin to say." <laughs> And then, uh, you know, he tells everybody about peace and love and tells them to come with him. And then they all start to follow, uh, including some of the police. Into and then the sky. they all, I assume they all clown car in there because yeah. the last shot is just the car leaving. It is just a Rolls Royce station wagon. <laughs> um, clown but, car rapture, I call it. But yeah, they just, they start walking into the sky and then they become see-through. Mm -hmm. And then Mr. Tops has this, uh, this interaction with, Mr. Bogolo, who's like, and Mr. Top basically is like, well, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take the, this crew and, and go start somewhere fresh, and like a new planet, and Mr. Bogolo's like, you can't do that without me, and Mr. Top's like, I bet I can, and then Mr. Bogolo's like, 
Oh. And then that's it. Mr. Tops goes with them in the car and then, um... Go to create the worst planet. But at the same time, like, what does that mean for the rest of the world? Like, the fact that they rapture, like, one one group of of park hippies. Yeah. Well, I mean, mean, the music's gonna be better on this planet. Yeah. So there's that going for them. But that's how the retribution works. It's they took 6,000 people. There's gonna be 10 years of tribulation. As... as... (laughs) As much as I hate to say these words that are going to come out of my mouth, in the film's defense, (laughs) it's entirely possible that we're just watching a small selection of people who are being raptured and that there are many others throughout the world, just we have not gotten to know them. And so that's why we aren't seeing everyone be raptured and that it's not just these 40 dirty hippies in the park. Let me ask you this question then. They were absurdly clean for, for cave dwellers that hang out around fires. In, in this in this scenario, Lynn, where you're describing, which I, I does Mr. Tops have a different car in each one? Like he has a fleet. Of He's various... making trips. Yeah. He's making trips. That was one trip. spectral car load. Yeah, one's just a U-Haul. Everyone at the end, all of the all of the, the remaining stormtroopers and the evil, evil lawyers. We didn't get a chance to talk about those evil lawyers. They're all just sort of watching in bewilderment. And like the rest of like, us. And, and I think that we were all united in that feeling. And and I'm left feeling like, wasn't Mr. Tops the name of a grocery train a grocery <laughs> store chain? Yeah. Or like Mr. That's that's not the name of a lord. That's not the name of a god. That's the name of a children's show have, I, have you I accepted only... mr tops as your lord and savior <laughs> I, I i i'm bim all the way only thing i wondered about with mr tops was if top was gay, gay slang at the time or not yeah. if that would have existed yeah I, as long as there have been gays there has been a, a top and, and a bottom i'm just saying that term I was just thinking it was like, because you know heaven is up or something like that, and that's where Mr. Tops came from, but Mr. Boogaloo isn't named Mr. Bottoms. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but there's a lot going on in this movie, Chris. I'm just trying to decode. I think they just liked the word Boogaloo. Yeah. They just wanted to say Boogaloo a lot. Well, my guess would be, yeah, I mean, if you want to go the religious thing, then yeah, Mr. Tops would imply like, oh, he's he's king, he's Tops, he's, you know, in heaven, so God, and then, but I think Boogaloo would be because it has boo in it, because he's the devil character. That would be the closest I could come. But let's stop talking about this awful movie. Would you recommend The Apple? Yes, I would. Dusty, get out. <laughs> Well, I would I would to a very select group of people. I, it's definitely if, if you like musical theater, if you like wacky religious nonsense, if you saw Xanadu and you're like, yeah, let's do more of this, then yes. But if you like, I don't know, good musicals, and you, you really can't can't stomach songs that never end, then yeah, it's not going to be a fun time. But I I love it for its just sheer audacity and nonsense i would recommend it in either the context that i did recommend it which is 
oh, here's this weird, bad musical movie. Maybe you want to do it yeah, for your, that's fair. That's fair. your podcast. But also, if you're specifically talking, as, as I was when this first came up, about weird, bad musicals of the 70s and 80s, I don't know that I would recommend it so much as it would come up in conversation and maybe someone would be curious. Mm. Otherwise, you know, I don't think it's very Mr. Tops at all. I would say if you're a completionist and you've seen all of the other films that exist, then <laughs> you got to give this one a try. Otherwise, no need. So, yeah, I uh, I tend to recommend the stuff we watch just be, I mean, even if I don't like them, I'm usually picking or other people pick things that are like out there and, uh, you know, worth watching for their kind of sheer audacity and craziness. This one's very, it's very hard for me to, to give it any kind of recommendation. I will give it the, the narrow, I will say no. I would recommend this to nearly no one. But I will give it the narrow recommendation, kind of what Dusty's saying. Like, if you are big into musical theater and if you do like bad movies and especially like spectacle, I could see that very like narrow window of, you know, I just like a, a musical regardless of how good it is. And I can just kind of like let it happen and then I'll either like it or not like it. But I like, you know, experiencing that. I could see somebody like that getting into this um, myself. I, I like a good musical <laughs> and that's where I will draw the line. <laughs> Um, you know, so yeah, I, I, I found very little, I mean, thank you for recommending Katie and this is exactly what this podcast is all about and, you know, finding and watching these weirdo things. Cause I had never heard of this before. This was not on any cult lists or anything that I had seen surprisingly. Um, so not, uh, not that surprisingly because <laughs> it's, it's, I don't even think it's got anything worth culting about in it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but yeah, so I would not like recommend it or you know sing from the heavens uh, about uh, about this film, but it uh, yeah in that very very narrow window, someone like Dusty, uh, a heathen <laughs> like Dusty, may find some value to pull out of this film. All right, so uh, that brings me to can I find this if you actually want to? Uh, unfortunately, the answer is yes. It is on DVD. They have put this film on Blu-ray. There are amazing movies that are still not on Blu-ray, and yet the Apple is readily available on Blu-ray. Does it have the deleted scene of Paradise with the Brontosaurus suit? I don't think so, but I would like to see that scene. So if you somehow have the film negatives of the Apple, please uh, get them to me. So uh, we can watch that scene that might be enjoyable of just seeing tigers maul people <laughs> on stage. Um, it's also available on streaming. I think, Chris, you watched it on like HBO Max. I watched it on HBO Max and it looks like they had just popped in a VHS tape for me. Like even like on old VHS, the little sound bars at the top, if your tracking was off, they were on there on my HBO Max. Wow. <laughs> I, I watched it on Amazon Prime, actually. Okay. Oh, no, it was Amazon Prime. I'm sorry. Yeah, All right. No, yeah, I just so... told my remote and it took me to it because I live in the future. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I saw that, yeah, it was on Amazon Prime, but it looks like only if you have a subscription, it's not one of those that you can just, like, download or, or you know, stream the – purchase the file itself. 
It's Amazon Prime, something called Philo, something called Sling TV, and then it's for free on Pluto TV and Tubi. So if you really want to see the Apple, it's out there and they're giving it away. <laughs> I'm going to say, if you want to, you are able to take a bite of the Apple. Ugh. But don't. Please don't. Oh, Dusty, don't act like you're above that fucking <laughs> statement <laughs> after, after, after embracing this How film. dare you besmirch <laughs> the honor of this movie that clearly teaches so many lessons. So many, so many clear lessons. I did learn a few lessons after <laughs> finishing this film, one of which being never watch the Apple again. Okay, so that wraps us up for the Apple we are going to switch gears with uh, a different kind of film, although uh, you know, also kind of a a quirky cult film, not as bad from my memory. It's been many years, but I don't think uh, the apple's a high bar to cross. Um, but we are going to be watching Stay Tuned, the 1990s kind of goofy comedy Stay Tuned. So we'll have a new cast of characters for that one. See you then. <laughs>